0: Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights, brought to you by 11FS. Today, we're going to be talking about wealth and investment. I'm Sarah Koshansky, and I'm joined by a wealth of not... No, I can't make that joke again. Um, I'm actually just joined by some seriously brilliant people. I'm also joined by my colleague and co-host, Simon Taylor. I didn't write this. This is Pet, so...
1: Petra, that was harsh. Producer (laughs) Petrit. Hey, you know, I'm excited to be on the show, because... I mean, what's more important to people than their financial future? And it scares me that people aren't thinking about their financial future enough. So we have some excellent guests to really think about how are people saving and how are people thinking about their future?
0: So um, today we are joined by Adam Dodd, CEO of Free Trade. How are you doing today, Adam?
2: Hey, it's great to be back.
0: Thank you for coming back. Uh, We are joined by Dr. Ella Rabiner, CMO and co-founder of Scalable Capital. How are you today, Ella? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, Joe Parkin, Head of Wealth and Retail at BlackRock.
3: Hey, great to be back.
0: Um, And last, but my name is Least and making his debut, Kai Eggett, who is the Chief Product Officer at Huddlestock. How are you today, Kai?
4: Good, thanks for having me.
0: So um, we're going to be talking about digital wealth management and the new models and products emerging in this space. Um, Also, the evolution of some others. This is the fourth of our wealth program. So, you know, there has been change in the market, and we'd like to to talk about that as well. Um, But what I'd like us to start by doing is for you to give us a really snappy overview of what each of you, uh, the company you work for does, and, you know, and the key products there. Um, So we start with you, Adam.
2: Cool, yeah. Free Trade's a new challenger (laughs) stockbroker. And what does that mean? That means you can go in the App Store download our app and get investing in stocks and ETFs within um a few minutes um and it's going to cost you absolutely nothing
0: perfect joe how about you
3: uh
2: yeah so joe park
3: and i run uh the iShares and Digital Wealth business uh in the UK at blarock um, BlackRock is one of the world's largest asset managers, uh, but also, uh, a significant technology provider to the industry. Um, so our mission, um, is to help our clients, which tends to be institutions, um, deliver better financial futures, um, for their clients, which tends to be individuals.
5: Perfect. Ella? Yeah. So I'm the CMO at Scalable Capital. We are a digital wealth manager. Um, we want to make investing, better for people not just cheaper we're obviously also cheaper than a lot of alternatives but we also want to make it better and what we mean by that is primarily using um, our risk management technology um, to monitor risk in our clients portfolios um, constantly um, and to then regularly make adjustments to their portfolios so that they know exactly what kind of risk what level of risk they have in their portfolios and to make sure that that stays constant over time um, ultimately delivering um, a very good risk adjusted return for them.
0: Perfect. And
4: Kai? Kai Eger, Chief Product Officer of Huddlestock. Um, Huddlestock is a digital marketplace for investment ideas um, where we created a platform that matches investor interest with digital advice. And um, we focus heavily on the uh, customer journey and uh, user experience. So we have a seamless experience from onboarding KYC, knowing the customer understanding risk taking all the way to execution of the idea and monitoring thereafter.
0: Brilliant. So now we, we have an idea of kind of what each of your companies do. Let's get into some of the meat of this conversation. So the first area that I would like us to talk through um, is this idea of the democratization of investing. So that was a theme that came up over and over again. I've been writing about the so-called robo advisory industry for sort of four or five years, and this was the initial theme. Is this still relevant, or have we moved on from this, or, you know, w- w- what are your thoughts on this? So when you must, get, you must get this all the time, and is your initial reaction to roll your eyes, or is it to to say actually, you know, things have changed?
2: I can tell you I, I don't really like that term. I don't even know what it really means. Perfect. <laughs> um, if it means lowering artificial barriers to investing, then, yeah, definitely uh, democratization is continuing and will continue in the UK, I think. Uh, with us, I think we're the first ones in the UK to al- allow someone to start off with whatever, £100 and put that into the stock market, get a diversified portfolio with just £100 and not pay any fees on that. Uh, other than the ones to maybe uh, the fund managers like Joe. He's looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> <doing laughs> <nice. laughs>
3: But I, I, so, I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, like, you, this is, we're in the start of, um, so a pretty significant shift, right? Um, you think about retirement and saving for retirement. Um, 10 years ago, that was completely owned by your firm you worked for, often for a very long period of time, um, or the, or, or the state. Um, and that responsibility has been shifted onto the individual um, over the last 10 years. And I think it's an individual that at this point in time is only just starting to understand the responsibility. Um, people are only just starting to educate them on how they should be doing it, and how they should be looking to do it. And as well, people are actually coming up with solutions to do it. Um, I believe that technology is completely enabler, um, you know, for financial democratization and financial inclusion. Um, and actually, you know, we're just at the start of this journey. Um, And it's an extremely important journey because we're going headlong into a retirement crisis. Um, I think that's an important context piece.
1: Retirement crisis, people changing, you know, sort of 20, 30 years ago, it was all taken care of for you. So is democratisation not so much about sort of uh, everybody has access and it's more everybody has a responsibility now and can you give them the tools to be able to manage that?
5: I, I think it's both actually. I think I think you can only you you will need to make people responsible for their retirement because as Joe also pointed out there is just no other way. It's not going to work any other way. But at the same time you can't just dump that responsibility on people without giving them some tools to cope with that challenge. And I think a lot of people probably think it's all about educating the consumer. I think it's about either giving those who want to manage themselves the tools to educate themselves or to give them an alternative. And this is something that they didn't have in the past, right? Give them an alternative to outsource it to someone else, to a professional. And in the past, only seriously rich people basically had the ability to outsource it to someone else who would do it professionally for them. And that's now where kind of, you know, companies like ours basically come in and they say, if you don't want to do it yourself, you can just give it to us and we will do it for
1: you. Well, so having a professional do it for you has a cost. Uh, And and so therefore, there's only a certain amount that you would be able to, you know, once you're saving enough, once you have enough of a a capital base, then you become profitable to serve with a full time dedicated professional investment advisor and, uh, and kind of everything that comes with that if you're uh, anybody else that's not in the top 0.1% or the top 1%, then that's not as affordable. So uh, how, is it just well, education I would, what are
5: the t- I would I would argue against that a little bit. I think in the past obviously it was not really accessible. It was only accessible for the top one percent, maybe even less. Yeah, but now we start with ten thousand pounds as a minimum investment. Quite a few people have that. Not everyone, obviously, but there are other competitors out there that start at you know lower uh, minimum investment amount. So I think it's quite accessible for probably most people who should be investing yeah? because there's also a point where the question is should everyone, everyone be investing already? Well, let's
4: well define if, you invest- to, if you talk to free trade here, then uh, the, op- the opinion is obviously everybody should invest, right? Even no, not, not everyone. If
2: you have a uh, whatever, uh, uh, high credit card debt or something like that or if you're in overdraft every month, no, you probably shouldn't be putting it into the stock market. I, w- I wouldn't say that, but um, most of our customers, we just launched last month, like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and, um, would not be able to meet that benchmark of 10,000 for scalable. Uh, And everyone kind of knows that they should be investing, but they just don't know where to start. And it's, we give them a really, really easy entry point where you don't have to think about, oh, I have to save up £10,000. I can try this out with £100. So there's something about starting small,
1: but you said something really important around the responsibility of not everybody should be doing it. And Adam then briefly talked about, well, people in high levels of uh, sort of short-term debt should be thinking about it. What other things you need as prerequisites before you start thinking about investing, Kai? I think it's very important to understand your personal risk. And then you need to help, someone needs
4: to help you to understand your risk. And it involves everything from your, your personal situation, if you're a father, if you're planning on buying a home whatnot, not, and then where you put your money in. So the vehicles you put your money in, they need to be understood. And that's very, very hard we push more and more things to the everyday consumer and ask him to do things that he actually has no clue about.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's that hard, really. You can go and buy an S&P 500 tracker fund. Yeah, but who knows um, if
4: that's good? What do you? Who, who knows, knows if that's, that's good? That's
2: just buying the market, right? And like, I don't think that there's... Yeah, is buying the market good right now? The it, market is terrible right now and <laughs> extremely volatile. Well, I, I don't know who your customers are, but our customers are generally about you know in their late 20s, early 30s, and they have decades left right. to go. And if you're going to entry point... I don't know, any time in the last 100 years, it's never a bad time to start investing. But, but my I, point I, is, I, I just want to make one point, like, yeah. it, it's important
4: to, to, to understand also how the regulator sees this. And we just went under an audit, and we got a question. So we see a customer of yours that has a stock that answered to you in a suitability that he never owned a stock before. Why? What kind of question is that? So if somebody that never owned a stock before cannot never have a stock.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's... The the, the thing is is
4: education, right? And understanding, uh, people make people understand like what they're going to do now if they have 100 pounds or 10,000 pounds. What are you going to do now? Can
0: I just like, and also the thing I think we need to make clear as well is that I think people know when they go to somebody like Scalable Capital, they're they're in it for the long term. I think sometimes when they look at something like free trade, Mm So I've got friends who will who will play with sort of the stock market, but they're in and out of it every day. They're looking at their app every day and sort of seeing what's happening and fiddling with it, whereas what Ella was saying is you put your money in and, and, and you just leave it to you, and it's for retirement, and I would understand that. But I think maybe the piece about education that's interesting when we talk about investment is that some people, A, don't understand that their pension is being invested, so people, I think people don't even understand that, that the one they get from their company is being invested. And secondarily, I think people don't necessarily understand where something like free trade would fit in a broader strategy. So, I mean, uh, what's one of the questions there? I think, how do we address that? So we talk about investing, great. That's putting money into something that may go up or down. But these broader strategy pieces, how do we address yeah. those make people understand the differences
1: how do you give people those contexts for the different sort of um because there's that immediate sort of dopamine driven uh notifications um stuff that you've seen the reason why apple and google are adding you know timers for how long you're using social you can design a product to be so addictive to be in every day that people aren't doing what they should be doing and they could be spending time uh, sort of trading when actually they're better off leaving it alone so how do we bring that responsibility into to managing both sides of that?
3: so so there's a few ways we kind of think about it so typically the industry has done two things it's try to educate Mm -hmm. um, which is actually really hard to do if people don't really want to be educated right and this is probably 80% of the population Um, The second thing you can do is you can scare people. And this typically happens in and around retirement Uh or in and around a 40-year-old. You say you are never going to be able to retire or you're going to have to drive an Uber, for example, um, throughout your retirement to supplement your income, which is not going to be great. Um, I think there's a couple of other things that have emerged over the last year. Um, The first one is seamless. Um, So you see uh, round-up technology, um, people just doing things because they've signed up to it and they don't know they're necessarily doing it. So it's
1: ambient, it's happening in the background. You're just rounding stuff up and saving it And I don't even have to think about it. It's just kind of happening.
3: Yeah. And then at the end of the year, suddenly you look back and you go, wow, I've got a thousand pounds here that's being saved Mm -hmm. for my retirement. Um, And uh, I might start to get a little bit more engaged. I think there's another way, which if you think about how um, like your three parts, of your happiness. So um, physical, mental and financial health. um, I think we've done a huge amount over physical health over the last 10 years. Um, now not everyone's become you know taken a major in exercise science it's all the little hygiene factors that exist around it so such as what you eat for lunch um, how often you go to the gym um, you know how much water you drink a day and perhaps that's what we're trying to achieve in financial those services nudges. is that that people are actually so some sort of um physical you know, like like a physical health craze but for financial services where those little things happen every day so like you know it may be um you know People might want to get engaged in in trading stocks, and then over the top of that, we layer something else on and something else on. It's a great way to get engaged.
1: Those nudges are really important. You know, you've got your um, five now nine portions of fruit and veg a day um, two liters of water five liters of water depending if you're in a warmer or cold climate what are those little hacks and things that would become the norm that start to become the norm and you sort of hear this stuff in financial circles and adam brought it up a moment ago this idea that oh well you buy some some indices and and this sort of stuff but it's almost uh, abstracting that even further into you do a couple of basic things you have a, a rainy day fund and you have a pension fund and like do you have these things yes or no and are you actively contributing How do you abstract this and move it away from education and more of a nudge? I think that's an interesting question.
3: I I think that, um, and I think some of the stuff going on in open banking and pensions dashboard is going to help for this. Um, At the moment, the people that really, really want to do this, I think, don't have enough information around the client. Um, And if you think about it, there are very few people with perhaps retailers do, perhaps the banks do. um, People are starting to get there. Um, But that's going to open up a lot more. And as soon as you start to understand more about the human, i.e., you understand the debt. As well as their um, as well as their kind of equity side of things, um, then you can start to say, okay, I'm going to use Roundup technology coming out of university to pay off student debt. And as that starts to pay off and get to a manageable level, then I may start suggesting an investment product. How, um, how do
0: you get that holistic picture? So what you're suggesting there to me is this idea that you need you need to know. So Adam was saying, you know, I need to know whether somebody's got credit card debt. How do you in, or, or you know to, to, to recommend a product? How, are you suggesting open banking might be one of the ways that we can? the people who provide these services can start to build that?
3: Yeah, I completely, I completely see that. And I, what I don't necessarily think, I mean, open banking definitely could be, but you see various <laughs> firms, you know, people are come at it from an FX perspective. People have come at it from a round-up technology perspective. You see um, Acorns in the US launching, um, launching debit cards. Um, so I think this stuff is all so, – so, so what people are starting to do is starting to go to one app for their financial services, um, and more and more the financial services are owning different parts of that value chain. So it's that yeah, control. It, it also it. sounds
2: all really paternalistic to me, but just one thing that you said um, – <laughs> was about, uh, what was it, scaring people, right? Uh, that's how you can kind of motivate them. And when I, when I listen to you guys, that's exactly what I'm hearing. I'm, I'm hearing like, oh, you got to have a PhD in uh, asset management to invest, or you need to have some hedge fund manager that you're going to copy. And I think that's complete bullshit. Um, there's no reason that you need to scare people they just need a straightforward way to start investing Absolutely. and start that habit. It's a, it's like a lifetime habit. It's a good habit to be in, and I think Simon, you were saying before, you know, and I think Sarah, you were also kind of hinting at like day trading. Okay, well, you're going to download Free Trade and you're going to do day trading. This like a it's not what we we built the product for. B definitely people aren't doing that right now. Uh, they're buying stocks and building a portfolio and being engaged with the app and being engaged with your investments doesn't necessarily mean that you're churning your portfolio and buying and selling every day. You can go on to our community and talk to other investors and think about other investment ideas or just monitor it and read about the news about your investments and be engaged with that. Yeah. And I
5: think there's there's plenty of research that shows that retail investors typically aren't doing a very good job and a lot of them, under. I mean there are so many different studies, I think the number is between anywhere between one and a half and four percent per year that they perform worse than the market if they trade their own portfolios. This, that's the same so for that's exactly active asset trying.
2: managers too, right?
5: <laughs> yeah, and we're not an active asset manager. So well, I agree with fun, you on the active professional asset Professional fund managers, right? Well, yes. Well, We use technology basically, but using passive products such as you know, iShares ETFs, but many other ETFs from other providers as well. But I think you know, also Warren Buffett is always quoted as having said, you know, buy and hold is the best strategy and it's very cheap. And that's very true. You know, if you manage to sit there and watch, for example, if you're in Germany, a lot of people would buy a DAX ETF. Yeah? DAX ETF fell by 43% in 2009. So if you are able to sit there as a retail investor, watch your investment go from like 100 to almost 50, be super calm about it and say, hey, it's all going to go back up again. You're going to be very fine in 35 years. Problem is like 90% of people, maybe 95, I don't have the number, are totally not able to do that. They get worried. So they get worried, they trade out of the market at very bad points in time and they get big. And that's already an investor who bought a somewhat diversified ETF. A lot of investors instead gamble, I think, on individual stocks based on something they read in the newspapers, based on their personal gut feeling. And I don't think that that necessarily is investing. And then people get bad returns and their conclusion is investing is not for me.
4: But we can dissect and they don't invest anymore. But we're talking about wealth management. We can dissect a little bit because there's deep retail, retail, and then there's affluent investors and more professionals, right? Yeah. So who's doing what and what's for who is a different question. But the reality is that we cannot force, and I agree with you, Adam, we cannot force people to, to be educated about every single bit of investing, not even over time. I mean, I don't want to. I just talked to Stalinger the other day, to Megan, and he said, she said, like, we ping people as little as possible with their banking mm. uh, interactions because people actually, that's not what they want to do.
1: That's a really interesting point. There seems to be this thing about um, a lot of the big banks talk about, oh, people are logging into our app 30 times a month and it basically tells me that your app isn't very good <laughs> if you're forcing them to be exactly. captive inside the app. It's only when it's informational and needed and just give me a notification I can dismiss and then I'm happy exactly. to go about.
0: Or act on. That's the other important thing, I said actionable insights as well are key to this
1: just to bring my point to an end very shortly is that um, we
4: strongly believe at Huddlestock stock in digital advice and we believe that professionals should give you advice and not your network and not maybe some robo that you trust maybe not a single robo maybe a couple of robos it's not a safe haven to invest in a robo it can go up and down the
5: question is what what do you mean by investing in a robo
4: uh, just putting your money into a uh, robo-advisory, which uh, well, suggests a glo- the safe yeah. haven that the re- that is not so volatile, but it, it could be volatile as well.
2: That's what
5: well, it's a globally di- well. The question is not about whether it's a robo or not. The question is what is the actual investment. Yeah, so we invest in globally diversified ETFs across yes. all the major asset classes. If you think that's, you know, not a good way to invest. No, you know, it's a great, it's a good great, view, it should be
4: part of the
1: solution. I'm saying, but yeah. it's, it's not everything. And so that's from, advisory as well. Right? So if I can, yes. So, sure, and we uh, do
5: offer advice as well, but if, then, if on top of the that the
1: tool to execute is not the same as the tool to understand, and exactly. you probably yes, need both, agree. but actually, I don't know that the tool to understand can only come from professionals. You said a key word, Adam, which was community. If you talk, go back to the physical health example, physical health was, is driven by some professionals. There's plenty of personal trainers out there, but how much of it really comes from friends? And from uh, social and from all of that sort of stuff. And yes, there was some government stuff. Um, definitely, they've pushed some nudges out there. And yes, there's some, definitely some stuff that have been done by uh, sort of uh, gyms and companies and food companies through legislation. So that has a big part to play. But community surely has a big part to play as well. Oh, and, it totally and does.
2: You should see our, our community board. People yeah. are really interested in talking about investments and sharing their knowledge. There's people that. Are, are really just into the space and there's people that are kind of new and they can share that knowledge with other people. So maybe if you've never opened up a stock and shares ISA before and you're wondering what the rules are around there, you don't need to go to a professional advisor. You can just go on the free trade community and get like accurate information. I
5: agree on those topics, but I think there are also people out there like Mark Cuban. I watched a video of him where he said diversification is totally overrated and it's crap. You know, it's like for losers, basically. And that, that is a very dangerous statement to make. And he's popular, obviously, and people watch their video and they think, oh, he's right. You know, he gambles on individual stocks. He is a super successful rich guy, right? So I'm going to do the same. And guess what? It doesn't work
0: for normal so people, right? My, my question there as well so that, is, is how you do know. you yeah. – how do you so firstly, as a community, how do you know who to listen to? But secondly, for a, a genuine, genuine question here, how do you avoid the FCA coming to you and saying people are giving advice on your message board? Like is that – would that be a concern? Like, if the regulators come to you and say, well, people are giving advice on your message board, that means they should be regulated as advisors. Is that... Uh, no, yeah, yeah a I don't
2: think... Well, we're, we're not regulated as an advisor. Um, we're an execution-only stockbroker. Um, but, I mean, message boards for uh, investments and in, in stocks has been around for... for ...for years. I mean, there's yeah. Reddit, there's... Like back in the day, what was it? Motley Fool was kind of yeah. big, and they, that still exists. Actually, but the regulator does look um, at these
0: in the UK, which is yeah. why I'm asking the question. Because then you have the question, which is go back to Ella's point: yeah. How do you know what's good advice? And also, does it need to be regulated?
2: Yeah, but you, you also have a curated community as well. So we do have a community manager, and, uh, <laughs> um, not, and not anything. And though. there's, there's, but yeah, you make sure you have your compliance officer in there, make sure that there's disclaimers, <clears> and <throat> actually, the community is quite, uh, I would say, responsible. Where s- someone might write something up about, uh, Tesla or whatever. And there's always disclaimers there and there's someone's opinion, but it's, it stirs a discussion. Um, and yeah, no, I, I find most of what I've read on there is quite thoughtful and it's, it's more about, uh, diversification actually. I, I, it's not. That hero
1: worship that so you, that's you good
5: to hear that uh, uh, talk about well, The thing is like with, with
2: our platform, you know, we're XO only, but you can go and create the exact same Portfolio that you can get it s- scalable without paying that one percent fee. Well,
5: you need to monitor and, it every day because and
2: over time we're going to be offering other kind of pre-made options. So one of the most um, requested things from our community is actually like an autopilot feature, so that you know, like you said, not everybody wants to invest one hundred percent of their portfolio all the time. I certainly don't. I'd like to be able to just set up my direct debit, and I know it gets spread out into a basket of ETFs that I pre-selected in advance, and. You know, every ETF provider these days are offering free um, model portfolios uh, done by professionals. Uh, you know, iShares does it, uh, InvestCo does it, they all do it. Um, so we can offer these options for free um, on top of our existing platform. But when it
4: comes to advice from your network, I think there's, um, there's something to it. Um, and also on Hullstock, it's, it's allowed to, that you connect selectively to people that you trust but if you come into a community where it's just uh, like Seeking Alpha, where there's a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. And we, when we talk to professionals, because we, that's kind of one of our target groups, right? Um, when we talk to them, they say Seeking Alpha is abused every day for making false news mm-hmm. into the investment space. So how much can you trust these you know, eToros and, and, and forums? And yes, the regulars should look at it because you know there's sometimes market manipulation going on. So uh, we, we don't believe in it. We believe more in the professional aspect. Let professionals do the job. They, they may go down from that, like a little bit more retail professional, but the small financial advisor has 10 clients. But we allow them to scale their abilities just by publishing their advice and people subscribing to them rather than going only to your friends or only
1: to a professional, which you cannot afford. To be so you're not other. saying that's an, an or, you're saying it's an and, right? It's an and, absolutely. So the, uh, you should look at what your friends are saying and the community is saying and look for good communities. And if there's professional yes. advice out there that you can find from a trusted source, consider that too, because it's probably been gone so through people some People do period. anyway.
4: The research shows that people, 75% of all investors ask their network first, especially mm-hmm. on retail. You can't change people.
0: Yeah, I mean, people. People. It's funny being in this job. People go, "So, what should I do with my money?" And I'm like, I "Can't give you advice." <clears throat> but, but it is. But it is that that first uh, that first port of call is, you know, well, you do something with money. What do you do with it? Or, the, or people asking their parents as well. That's a big one. I know people who go and ask their parents. Um, just, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on whether you think there needs to be something more happening and sort of schools around invest about education around investing and money and you mentioned the retirement crisis earlier do you think we need to see more of that and do you think that companies like yourselves have a have a role to play there is there something you can do kind of at that lower edu- not lower educational
3: but you know what i mean but earlier on basically level uh 100 i think uh, you, you know, you think about the school curriculum um, and you think about some of the subjects that are on there and some of the subjects I certainly, um, you know, did at school, such as Latin and Greek and classical civilisation. <laughs> wow. Um, and and, how, much, <laughs> is and yeah. how much how much use that has, um, you know, um, like actually this should be mandated. Um, and it should start off and I, I think in like company uh, like uh, perhaps you can talk through the German example, the German example where uh, the banks are taking a real responsibility for this um, and really going into schools in their community, kind of educating people on it and kind of driving them all the way through to to like, you know, retirement, you kind of stay with one provider and they're providing you with all sorts of financial services.
5: Yeah, I think, I, I wouldn't say Germany's doing a perfect job, to be honest, but just from my experience growing up in Germany, you you just typically have, you know, the savings banks basically in Germany are sort of very local banks, right? And they're typically very embedded with the community and they would have a relationship with schools typically and they would send people there from time to time. I mean, obviously, it's also to just get customers, right? Like from age 16, when you typically get your first bank account, you then stay there, you get a mortgage and so on. So they are more embedded in, in my point of view. But I think also in Germany, it's not officially in the school curriculum either, right? And I I totally agree with you. And I don't think it needs to be even sort of its own subject. But if you had like, you know, let's say at a certain age, maybe 16, 17, when people start to be a little bit more interested, if you just had a couple of hours just to explain very basically – uh, on a very basic level a the need to invest for the long run and why you know saving is not the same as investing yeah and what inflation is for mm-hmm. example because yeah. a lot of people forget about <laughs> that amazing as well amazing how
1: many people who don't know what inflation absolutely. is absolutely an and rate. it's a killer yeah. it's yeah. a killer
5: you know but also, like, diversification, as we said earlier, if there, there may be, like, ten concepts that are not that hard to understand that you really need to understand, and that already would equip you with the right tools to then, for example, look at a community, look at what people are writing, and to be able to tell, oh, this is just whatever, too extreme, maybe not correct. The other guy, what he says sounds, you know, very relevant, sounds right. You know, they would have a, a more basic understanding, basically, right? You could
1: do inflation in a maths class so Yeah, I mean, as well.
2: I, I'm just, like, listening to this, and I'm thinking... Like, where, where did the idea come that it should be the banks and the asset management firms going into schools and educating people where it should be part of the core curriculum, right? Uh, You don't have
1: chemical companies coming
2: in and sponsoring the chemistry class or um, engineering companies coming in and doing physics.
1: And this this is what works with physical education, right? You see the nudges coming out from government on a certain level and you see those nudges kind of running all the way down. And I certainly remember the the schooling I had, and I'm sure it's the same for many listeners, that you you do have basic of like this is counting money and this uh, even if you do business studies though like the stuff that you actually do is nothing compared to actually running a business none of the stuff that you actually need is really in that curriculum it's like somebody needs to go from the school of life and go like this is the stuff that actually matters back into the education system at some point but we could that could be a tangent
0: (laughs) so we're gonna we're just gonna take a quick break right now to hear from our sponsors we'll be right back with you shortly How can Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university? It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there.
1: Oh, she's fine. She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job.
0: Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly
2: £30,000.
1: Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years.
0: But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt.
1: Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of smartphones with that.
0: Millennials, future consumers or debt slaves? Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us.
4: Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra.
0: So, um, we've talked quite a lot about, you know, the roles and responsibilities of these companies and sort of how we get people involved in them, how you might get customers to sort of understand what they're doing. Um, we have touched on a little bit, here, uh, you know, earlier, but I'd like to get into a bit more detail about, firstly, how you build a business model around this, because we keep talking about how expensive it's historically been to provide advice and how, you know, when, even when you're going to an exchange or you're paying, you know, paying fees, um, you know have business models in this area sort of changed since we first saw the first digital wealth managers? Because, you know, we mentioned the term robo-advisor earlier and we don't talk about that as much anymore. Um, and then sort of, you know, how hard is it to start differentiating yourself whilst making money here? Because there are more and more companies playing in this space. So I don't know who wants to go first.
3: I mean, I'm happy too. So I think I think over the last, you know, we talked earlier, Simon, about 12 months and how it's evolved. And, and I think the industry is evolving in terms of wealth management. I think there's a couple of things that we've seen. Um, firstly, that technology and the digital agenda is 100, the most important thing right now at C-suite level. Um, you know, the knowledge that's being acquired, accumulated um, by CEOs to really understand what's going on in the market and not just on a surface level, but really underneath the um, things as well. I think the second thing we've seen as well is this kind of combining the fintech and the established order. Um, perhaps 12 to 18 months ago, it was like a, um, a school disco with the boys and the girls either side and it was the established order. That's such a um, wonderfully British example. I yeah. love it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they were speaking. Problem, and, right. <laughs> and, and, and um, you know, I think so, so, so now people understand they need to work together, they need to um, derive. And, you know, there are if, a big company, often the tech agility that it has, it really struggles with. Um, I think every big company will admit to struggling with that. And so by working with some of these fintechs or whatever startup um, technology firms, um, I think they really understand they can actually move their business onwards.
1: There's something really interesting about companies that are born digital and are born customer centric they don't have a digital team and they don't have a customer success team they just are from the ground up everybody in the company meets customers everybody in the company has some level of interaction with technology in their day-to-day lives and that creates a different mindset but does that change the business model as well or is that just a different operating model
0: No, I didn't.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. I I still just wanted to ask Joel a question about his funds. um,
1: (laughs) Oh, Yeah, completely hijacked a podcast. I thought my question was good, but you
3: know, we're talking about
2: financial inclusion.
3: It's not about the product. It's about the experience. It's about um, the outcome. It's about, I think. My own personal view is that in the industry, we talk way too much about the product and focus way too much on the product. And 80% of the UK population doesn't care about the engine of the car. It cares from going from A to B. So from short-term goal, medium-term goal, long-term goal. Um, and so I think we should move away from talking about the product in the industry just as a whole. And if we are going to do that, um, you know, then we might be able to deliver financial inclusion to the UK and deliver engagement to people.
2: Okay. We can pick that up later. I'll, I'll bite on Simon's question then because that literally is is free trade what you just described we launched last month we don't actually even have any dedicated customer service people yet uh we just hired a couple but they're not started yet and i have my uh our cmo answers uh, intercom our uh, compliance officer answers, uh, answers intercom i answer intercom and talk to our customers
1: for listeners who haven't heard of intercom
2: okay sorry um that's the the channel that you can talk to us through the app so um our customer service is all app based and it's all chat based so you can't call us up in a, in a call center you can't walk into our building but you can uh, talk to us and we'll respond within uh, median response time right now is about two minutes it's so like
0: instant messaging basically yeah you got right. it yeah. it's yeah, the tool it's like, you
2: use to like provide or instant whatever. messaging yeah. and
1: uh, you see others like Revolut and Monzo and Starling they all use Intercom just yeah, wanted to get it, rid it, of the jargon
2: and I think it goes into building trust with the customer too so we're an unknown quantity right now okay free trade how are you going to make money you're, you're whatever you're just an app um, but then when people start engaging with us and start talking to us um, then they start to understand that hey we're, we're real people on the other end we're giving them good advice we're giving them great service and they can start to trust us with more and more of their money so they mm. we see already within the first month people who, you know fund their account with some people one p <laughs> yeah. just to see if it actually worked and then they're, they're topping up with thousands of pounds or tens of thousands of pounds once they get used to the product and they, they They say, okay, this is legit.
4: But uh, it's interesting that we talk about differentiators and we talk about uh, chat solutions because that can only happen in a forum like this. The banking industry is so much behind in people's everyday life. It's unbelievable. I mean, chat solutions and and real-time interactions and push notifications is everybody's daily life. But only in the wealth management industry or the banking industry is just like, oh, that's a new thing. It's It's your quarterly report. Yeah, exactly. It's it's (laughs) not. Or biannual. (laughs) I mean, we in Huddlestock, I start from the music industry seven years trying to compete against Spotify. The only interest I have is making uh, investing as easy to manage as managing a playlist. That's how easy it has to be. But all risk considers, right? So how we differentiate ourselves is completely different thinking.
1: If we sit in meetings with banks, we just that there is a huge gap. I think it is moving away from that mindset of commodity products. Taking the ETF and distributing it was the old mindset. But actually, Joe, you're probably seeing that there are new people that aren't just trying to distribute the, the, what you guys manufacture. One, you're manufacturing something that's a little different these days. And two, it's not just pushing it out to the customer. It's having an active conversation that's real-time, it's intelligent, it's contextual. It's engaged. Yes.
4: Yeah. And, and the markets are volatile. So where are the tools that work like twitter where the advisor sends the the client a message i'm trying to meet private banking clients in london they say we can't meet we need to face to face meeting with our clients where do we live it's it's 2018
3: Mm -hmm. i mean i to your point like the way i view us is we're building engines um and hopefully like engines that can pretty much do any journey you want to do um and hopefully the best engines you can possibly build um but people aren't buying engines as such um, they're buying cars.
0: How, how is – if I'm a customer and I – so obviously free trade is a little bit different because, as you said, you're, you're probably the only people doing what you're doing in the UK right now. But if I'm looking at scalable capital, how do I know the difference between scalable capital and Wealthify and Wealth Simple? who, you know, as you said, you, I, I know the difference. But if I'm a consumer who's like, right, I've got to the stage where I know I need to do some investing – Um, I'm not confident in doing it myself, so I want to go with one of these platforms that's going to do a lot of it for me. How, A, do you make sure customers know the difference? And B, how do you actually differentiate yourselves in such a way that you continue to, to sort of, you know, lead the pack, if you like?
5: Yeah, so I think, I mean, obviously, people do their research typically by going to the websites, right, or into the App Store potentially. Um, and I think in our case, it becomes very quickly, very clear that our main USP is the, the dynamic risk management. So we don't build, you know, a very simplistic, you know, buy and hold portfolio for you with fixed weights, and then we rebalance maybe once a quarter or once a year or however often they do it, um, which I agree actually is something you could do yourself pretty easily. Like, you don't, I mean, you need a very, very simple Excel spreadsheet in order to recalibrate, like, like that right. So what we do is we instead monitor markets um, on a daily basis. So we look at every client's individual portfolio. We run a risk simulation, which is something that's quite complicated to do. It basically probably requires a degree in financial econometrics to understand how that works. We do that every day. We measure risk in that way, forward-looking, basically. And if your risk in your portfolio right now doesn't match your risk category that you've selected anymore, we would rebalance your portfolio for you. Right? So that's
1: real time and it's contextual. So you've got the real time, the market has moved and yes. also real time, your risk model is moving. That's not static.
5: Well, it's not, it's not real time as in it doesn't recalculate every second. No, because that's also not meaningful. Yep. Yeah. So it does it regularly on a daily basis. We don't adjust necessarily daily because mm-hmm. that would be Like noise trading a little bit as well. So what we do is what our algorithm basically does is it looks for a consistent change in the risk regime in the market. So So I don't don't want to go into too much detail, basically, but our algorithm would react if it believes based on the data that, you know, risk has consistently and in a durable way, basically changed in certain markets, and then it would make adjustments in your portfolio. So, but to come back to the original question, We talk about that quite a bit. On the homepage, there's a dedicated page around risk management. There are blog articles explaining it. It's in our email routines to newsletter subscribers. Uh, There are videos about it. We have a media library, basically, that has content on that. So it would be very hard for people to miss that this is really how we differentiate ourselves.
0: Do you think that potentially, this is a genuine, genuine question, do you think potentially people who go, oh, that's too complicated for me?
2: Yeah, pretend. for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think all, most of the content that coming out from robo advisors really confuses me because I thought that the reason that you sign up for a robo advisor is so you don't have to worry about this stuff uh, exactly. about what the market's doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question I had for you though was, uh, so you know, you got all this hocus pocus uh, mathematics, whatever. Um, do <laughs> mathematics you do you, you actually compare <laughs> the returns that you produce for your clients to a benchmark? For yes, them, that's really do. clear? Of
5: course. Because yes, that, that's course.
2: one thing that I notice in the asset management industry just overall and wealth management industry. A lot of them... Don't do that. So you say, yeah. oh, hey, you're up 20% this year. This is really great. No, we have um, a
5: page dedicated to our um, historical returns, and it does have benchmarks on it, meaningful benchmarks. That transparency is important, isn't
4: it?
2: Because Well, that's yes. where you can uh, add value, right? There's, there's
4: good websites for comparing yeah. Robles and all, all the things they do. They You have a kind of benchmarking sites also. Robles can you give an versus- example of one of those? Robotvisely.de is unfortunately in German.
5: (laughs) In Germany, there are many, here, not so many. But I think, just very briefly, one issue I have with a lot of these pages is they only look at absolute returns. They do not look at the risk yeah, component. So that, that and investing clear, is
4: all about risk as well. That makes it clear how difficult it is for people to differentiate. Yes, I mean, and it's totally. – it's, it's, Yeah, a that's, that's not, not really true, though. Everybody has a lot to read. Yeah. But I, I don't envy investors investors wanting to be investors yeah. at all because there's so many choices right now. There's so many traps right now. And there comes a the crypto wave. Mm-hmm. And everybody – like, yeah. do you have to do this as well? It's like – that's why we're trying to be um, – and we're not there yet, but we're trying to be a marketplace where we maybe find a couple of robos and a couple of other sources. Google uh, Trends could be a source for all I care about. I don't need a sophisticated robo. Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, so, so what you're saying is, in essence, with the risk piece, that... I could have a super low-risk fund that has actually delivered what it said it would, but that would look worse in terms of return than a super high-risk fund that of happened to have would. done well that could have also crashed.
5: Yes, of course it would.
1: And yeah, so that, that's a
2: false would. benchmark, though. Like You said that they don't present the risk component, but if you're presenting a benchmark... Properly, you do need to show that it has a similar risk profile to Absolutely. the portfolio yes. that you're you're comparing against. Yes. So, and that, that's what that, we're that's doing on our question. website.
5: So, on our website, basically, we pick we compare ourselves against three different benchmarks based on their risk level. So, what I'm saying is just that in Germany, some of the comparison, the, websites, the comparison websites they only show they only will tell you. You know, in whatever, some portfolio that we looked at from Robo A, they delivered whatever, 6%. Yes, the simplified. other Robo, in one yeah. of their portfolios, they delivered whatever, 7%. And I'm like, so what was the maximum drawdown over that time period, yeah, for but that's well, They a don't good list point. that. That's a good point. They don't list that at all. We use all. profit factor, relevant, we use right?
4: drawdown, we use sharp ratio, all these kind of things. But and under the hood, what it is, under obviously. the hood, people, yeah. nobody understands what it is. Yes.
3: No, no, So, I, so... We can talk about risk, we can do, we're talking about business models. Um, And the reason why Scalable got to a billion dollars faster than anyone else was Focus. And so they have deliberately gone after a certain cohort of clients. I think this is really important in understanding that kind of are smart, busy professionals um, that want to understand or or want to be talked to in a mathematical language. They're a bit more nerdy. Exactly. A bit more nerdy, definitely. And And so one of the key things I think people are starting to realize is don't bore the ocean. Mm-hmm. And be specific with Absolutely your with your do. audience. So I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, a uh, twenty seven year old who works in London is aware of financial services and needs they they know they need to do something about an ISA. Okay, that is a very digital experience. They should never even touch a person. They don't need advice as such. It's just a simple transaction they're going to do on an app. Versus someone in retirement who's going to have a very different set of needs, set of engagement. You need to know a huge amount more. It requires advice. And so... Like the key thing is, is who you trying to target, how you're going to engage them, um, and that 's going to mean your different business model that you 're making that 's going
1: to drive your business model, yeah. which is going to drive how you make money because if you 're making money from deep retail, mass retail or affluent or you know, private wealth, your business model is fundamentally different. But we started the show at democratization that you know the, the, the sort of the private wealth is fairly well catered for it seems to be further down the the kind of market. That's where you see the innovation. Is that fair?
0: Well, so what I, I think to pick up on all... The point I was going to make, but this picks up on all of that, is I completely agree that, that targeting a particular demographic is a really good way to start. But I think then how you maybe build on this, and, and Kai mentioned Starling earlier, we're starting to see more of these, I don't know, marketplaces, but then you go down even to more specific partnerships. So I think that maybe one of the ways that... this is, And, and I know that you have partnerships with this ING. Uh, it's yes, in to term, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, is that... Is that where we, we round off this loop and you go back to the idea that you've got somebody like Starling or ING in front of you and then they present you with some options. And so you have the trust, trust, I'm going to say in inverted commas, of your bank, but you, people do tend to at least know who their bank is and have you know a, uh, more insight into that than they maybe do into a selection of pr- products out there. And then that's the way that you build, A, on that kind of get a holistic picture and B, you can serve a smaller segment of clients because you as a, a provider of this product know who your customer is because you've got their bank data and you can go actually, yeah, so you are right for scalable capital, but you probably not. Wealth of Fire, well, simpler is better for you. I mean, to me, that feels like kind of one of I these holy
5: I think it should happen that way, but I think we're not there yet. I think right now, Also, a lot of the digital banks, what they're doing to me in the current state still feels too much like just an umbrella for 20 different apps, right? In a way where I feel like I could recreate that by just creating a folder on my phone and then sliding in different finance apps. Then I've got the same as what I sometimes have with some of the digital banks right now. I think the real benefit comes in to Joe's point, basically, where I can really access the data as well, right? So if somebody like Starling, let's say I've got my current account there and my my salary goes in there, if they were completely integrated with us, for example, or we with them, then we could allow our customers to set up, or they could allow their customers to set up a rule where they say, whatever, whenever I have, let's say, more than £2,000 on my current account, automatically take the surplus and invest it with Scalable. Or anyone else, for that matter, right? That's where the real benefit comes in. When there is a real connection between the different providers, mm-hmm. and when they really get the financial transparency, Addition then they can deliver. Cash. Yes, well, then, then they he- can deliver that financial health. Benefit. That helps
0: helps you get more customers. It helps your customers realize they've got the right product, and it helps yeah. people maybe make these different. So, there's no reason why, for example, free trade wouldn't necessarily work in partnership with a bank at some point if there was. Something in it for both of you, right? Would
2: we do that? Uh, we have no plans to. No, no, it's, it's all right, Yeah, but... I mean, that, that just sounds like another layer of intermediation to me. Okay. I think that free trade has a spot on your home screen. I think that there's no reason why investments need to live in some sub-corner of your banking app. Um, and going to kind of your point about, which is a good one, about, oh, okay, I want to set up um, a rule for – Uh, taking money out automatically and putting it into my investment app well we're going to be able to do that very soon with open banking right which Um, is the
1: point Joe made about acorns and debit cards you're seeing a lot of these strategies start to play out and and I think the great thing is there's not one of them there's actually a lot of uh, innovations going on for different customer segments and we're in this real time of kind of uh, let many flowers bloom and we don't know what the answers will be but I don't think the answer will be the same for every consumer and customer it's going to be a little bit different but that's an exciting time because I think four or Five years ago, it was you know there was a lot of papooing of robo-advisors. You probably lived through a lot of this, Ella, and, and I think g- generally there was a lot of cynicism, whereas actually now the AUM has started to materially increase. The generations yeah. are shifting, and digital is the norm. And Joe, as you said, I think the C-suite's got the joke now.
4: It's- but I, I absolutely believe in integrated propositions. I, I don't believe consumers will have endless amount of ads to go over. I want to do self-directed trading. I use free trade. I want to do robo. I use scalable. I want to move banking. I go here. I like temp... Thousands of apps. Look at Asia. They have one app and it integrates everything. If you have good integration and good seamless experiences, we're talking about money here. It's all money. So money needs to move from A to B to be invested into C, right? So, and so open banking is not reality yet. And I'm tired of waiting for it. by the way. <laughs> so I just, I, just want to, I just want to
0: wrap us up because yeah. Kai started, started there by sort of, if, if I were to say to you, so we've talked a lot about theory, we've talked about what's happening now. What's next? Either what is next or what do you want to see next? Let's go three to five years rough. Band. So, Kai, you've sort of given us a what you want to see there. Ella, what, what do you want to see or what do you think is going to happen?
5: Well, I would want to see more transparency. And with PSD2, we can actually make it happen. We just have to make it happen. Like our engineers just need to do it, <laughs> Um I think we need more transparency into, you know, um, or we need to get a more holistic view of our clients' financial situation. Compared to what we have right now. Right now, we only know basically what they've got invested with us. We know a little bit more about them from the onboarding process, but we don't, we can't update or verify that information against facts, basically. So I think if we were more plugged in with, you know, other financial providers, um, I think we could set up, you know, smarter routines and help them, basically, achieve better financial health. So I think the nudging part would become easier than it is right now. And that's, the, for me, that's the next very achievable, actually, but the next big step forward. Brilliant. Joe? Uh,
3: I'd love to drive a financial health craze in the UK, uh, which is similar to the physical health craze that we've all been on for the last 10 years, um, and so that people really get to grips with their finances and do little things every day, little hygiene factors, let's call them, um, to make sure that um, you know they achieve what they want to achieve in life financially.
2: Adam? Yeah, I think um, over the next few years, I'd like to see... Like, well, my generation picking up good investment habits, and I think free trade has a, a place to to play in that. And we're going to build out increasing features so that you can do things like robo advice, you can do things like um, uh, self directed investing all in one place. So you have a home for your investments and that's something that you think about all the time and you think um, really thoughtfully about. Yeah? Perfect. And Kai, did
0: you want to add anything now we've been
4: Just around? Just one thing. I believe that the vast majority of wealth managers will be out of a job in five to seven years if they don't adopt new ways of giving advice.
0: Boom. So that is going to wrap up our discussion. Um, thank you all so much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you, uh, you, your companies, uh, Kai? Uh,
4: www.huddlestock.com or kai at huddlestock.com.
0: Perfect.
5: Ella? Scalable.Capital, and that is Scalable.Capital, not ScalableCapital.com or something mm. like that, because people try that. So it's just Scalable.Capital. Um, we're on Twitter as well. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram now as well. Mm. Mm. It's, nice. it's difficult to make finance Moderate. pretty enough for Instagram, but we're trying hard. <laughs> and Ella
0: at Scalable.Capital.
3: Brilliant. Joe? Uh,
2: LinkedIn or iShares.com. Adam? App Store, free trade app is in there. If you're on Android, a couple more months, uh, you can join the waitlist on freetrade.io. And Simon? Uh, smiling somewhere near
1: Oldgate that Sarah said boom Um, but also uh, you can find me at s y Taylor, and you can find me at Sarah Kishansky on Twitter Uh, so if you like this and want more
0: wealth and investment or financial literacy related content do check out the following we have uh, three other episodes in our wealth series those are episodes 167, 170 and 173 Um, we have an episode uh, on wealth tech 2018 that's episode 196 Um, we have one on digital asset management which is episode 219 and finally um, episode 248 is an interview with John Hope Bryant who is a really inspirational man to listen to so if you want some inspiration go and listen to that thank you so much for listening if you like what you heard subscribe to our podcast and drop us a review on iTunes we do love reading those reviews thank you for everything that's all this week